Now, I know that a lot of the people listening to this want to know, how do you win? Tell us how to win. That is the question on everyone's mind. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode seven of Welcome to the Stage. I'm joined today by Ed M.B., who is the host and founder of the Hicks Comedy Competition, which many of the comedians who have had on this show are currently participating in. So if you're interested about comedy or just want some tips on how to win this competition, definitely tune in, listen, and please welcome to the stage, Ed M.B. Maybe as the lights fade up on the stage, they think, oh, this must be the start. Maybe they start applauding just gently at first and then building it up. And then when the music comes in, they start going wild and crazy. You want to turn it in? Always. I feel like we've already had the whole interview. Sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, we've already spent like 40 minutes hanging out. You told me you had a microphone in your pocket the whole time. Was that just a lie? It was a lie. The first of many, I'm afraid. Ah. See, now I was betrayed. Now I feel on edge. That's the perfect situation for an interview. Excellent. Let's yeah. go. I should I should clarify uh, for our listeners. Uh, <laughs> I'm here with my guest, Ed Burton. You got three names, though, right? Ed MB. We'll stick with that. I'm here with my guest, Ed MB. And uh, we've been drinking a couple IPAs for the past half an hour. And also uh, smoking on some vapes. It's been a good day. It's been lovely, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah I finished out. my day at work, came along to see Emily, and uh, and I was told this was going to be an interview. It's turning into a bit more of a session, really, isn't it? Yeah. It, I mean, a therapeutic, if anything. Absolutely. I don't know who's going to be the, the professional here, but I don't know. I have some shit <laughs> about my mom I could talk about. You well, let's listen. go with that. Yeah. Yeah. It all started when I was five and I saw her naked. I don't know what that did to me. Insecurity, jealousy, sexual envy. That's why I'm a comedian. What about you, Ed? Well, I had much the same reaction the first time I saw your mother naked. Mm -hmm. And it was insecurity, envy. For her age, can't complain. So getting back to the professional stuff. Emily, uh, thank you so much for coming in today. And we're really really glad that you came in to host your podcast. So I'd just like to ask you a few questions about... Mm -hmm. Why the fuck am I here? Why the fuck are you here? Uh, Okay, so I had a lot of trouble figuring out who my next guest was going to be. And then as if it was just an answer from the gods or more realistically, my uh, social media search engine, (laughs) uh, I found out that the Hicks first initial round has ended. It has, yeah. And uh, I feel like this was a good time to get you on to talk about it. Promote the event. Absolutely, yeah. I am participating in, uh, and also just get just to, know to interrupt you. here. Yeah. Emily is being massively modest about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, participating in—that's a very polite way of saying you won the first heat of the first round, right? I, I did win the first round. Okay. Yes. So, so Emily was participating in Hicks. She is now through to the final as an automatic qualifier. Yes, as are many of my fellow, what do you call fellow uh, comedians, there's, there's the modesty again. Dude. Oh, stop it. No, I know that I'm amazing. I just got to be nice <laughs> for the viewers. Viewers? Fuck, are they watching? Oh, yeah, there's a secret camera here and in the bathroom. Yeah, I got two different streams of revenue coming in. Right. Yeah. We're going to need to have a bit of a chat about some of the images you might have captured half an hour oh, ago. Oh, yeah, it's going to be interview with comedian MMB. And then it's also going to be... Look at his penis. Isn't that fun? As long as it's M-M-B and not Ed M-B. M-M-B, yeah. <laughs> How many of these IPAs have you had? percentages is this? <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> A toast to your mother. A toast to my mother. May she continue to be sexually active. Have you seen me do some of the bits about my mom? And yes. Stuff that I have, yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. People always ask me, is that really true? That's not true. I sw- that is the one part of my set that's true. See, I I love that. When I'm doing stand-up, every single one of my anecdotes is true. Is it? And, yep. Every last one. Even the one about pissing on your baby? It's not about pissing on my baby. It's about shitting. But uh, there's there's a little 
a little bit right at the end of that. And you're kind of spoiling my bit for that. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a little bit that is exaggerated, but mm-hmm. every single one of those anecdotes is, is based on something that's really happened in my life. And uh, this is... This is something that a lot of people find hard to believe. And I was doing a show just before Christmas last year and uh, I I did a five or six minute bit about my wife being pregnant and, uh, and the experiences that we were having. And at the end of the show, I'm walking out and some of the people in the audience coming up and, uh, and saying thanks for the show, shaking hands and um, having a drink with uh, with one of the other comics and this was the one and only show of mine that my wife has come to. And she walked into the room, came up to me, gave a kiss on the cheek. And one of the people from the audience who was standing and talking with us turned around and said, oh, fuck, she's really pregnant? And the, the other comic that I was talking to at the time was like, dude, I thought that was just a bit, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then they sort of turned around to my wife as if to say, oh, you must be so fucking embarrassed. How can you say these things about you while you're in the room? And Wait, you got to like, tell real, us what the bit is. That's going to spoil every show that I'm going to do. What, and also st- my wife well, would kill me. your still pregnant, is she? Well, it was about the the experience of, of having a pregnant wife and her going through uh, the hormonal changes and uh, the, the experience of trying to deal with that multiple personality. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go any further into that right now because this is this is going Listeners, out on the big wide interweb. Go see his show if you want to yes, hear do. more. Yeah, that's that's a big plug. Thank get a you lot very of weird, much, Emily. Like, pregnancy fetishes coming to your show now. You're Could like, be. I heard we're talking about big tits and bellies. Sign <laughs> me up. It's either this or sumo, right? <laughs> uh, so, how did you meet your wife? Uh, we met in Geneva. So uh, at a convention. Oh, oh, <laughs> no, neither of us are Nazis. Oh, and, really? Uh, you have the look. You I've, look a bit like Hitler. Oh, thank you so much. You, you see it too, right? And you have been holding your arm for a very long time. So I was yeah. just trying to shield my eyes from the sun. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of glare from that window. It's, it's nothing fascist, mm-hmm. honestly. But anyone who's listening to this I, right now and if, imagining me with the black hair and the... The toothbrush yeah, mustache. I, I don't have that. If I've it got makes curly you brown better, hair. I, I don't think you have a Hitler haircut. I think you have a Hitler face. Oh, there's a difference. See, that's okay. You look angry and anti-Semitic. It has nothing <laughs> to do with the hair, babe. <laughs> oh dear, this is getting so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm I'm what I like to call a serial expat. I've lived in lots of lots of countries since I left my own one. So. I decided once upon a time, just over a decade ago, that uh, I grew up in this country, but there are probably other places. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I've moved to a few countries, and my my work took me to Geneva, where I lived for about five years. Wow. And uh, I met my wife there. Uh, she was working as an au pair for a local family. And so... Young, tall, blonde, Dutch, beautiful. You got to have one of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, goes, goes Imagine along with how the... she'll look pregnant. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> High fives all over the place. And yeah, when you're having drinks after work, you've just left the office on a Friday. I mean, you're talking about the nice car, the apartment, the holidays you take, where you're going skiing. If you don't have the young, beautiful Dutch au pair, then. Seriously, who are you? You're not living no. at that point. Yeah. I just want to clarify here. I'm absolutely going through the douche motions here. I don't like to think of myself as a douche, but the more I listen to myself, the more I realize I probably yeah. fucking am. The hair gel and the shirt <laughs> tells a different story, bud. I, it's not gel, it's wax. Oh! I just overdouched. The response. <laughs> Excuse me, it's not gel, it's wax. What do you think I am, poor? <laughs> uh, were you doing stand-up at that time? What, no, no, Five I wasn't. years ago then? Uh, no, that was about, oh, we met about seven years ago. Seven now. years ago? Uh, so I wasn't doing stand-up at that time, but for for many, many years I've done a lot of public speaking. and uh, As part of your job? Or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And Which you told me about your job today. 
And I was very floored because like we were saying, most comedians, I think actually all the comedians I've had on, they either don't have jobs or their jobs are just giving walking tours. Right. So it's it's nice to have someone who's a real professional in here, a, a white collar douche instead of the usual blue collar cocks that I have in here. So thank you for that. So you do public speaking for work, and then yeah, that's what? right. So uh, yeah, I I consider myself a, a a businessman who enjoys doing comedy, and uh, rather than a comedian who went into business and. And that's probably why I'm really shit at putting on shows and I hate doing the organization behind <laughs> it and all of that stuff. I I could never be a promoter mm-hmm. because it's just not up my street, you know. I I love doing stand-up. I love having the microphone and uh, and telling jokes and getting a reaction from the audience. I hate the process of planning a show and uh, and doing all of the behind-the-scenes stuff that, that has to go into it because uh, it – Feels like a busman's holiday. What's a um, busman's holiday? Is that a fun English expression? You don't know that. Expression. No, what oh, is that's that? That's a beautiful expression. So imagine if you're a guy that drives a bus. A busman. A busman, or a guy that is a a ticket inspector on a, a bus. A tickman. I'm still going to go with busman. Okay. And then you take a holiday. You get on a bus to go there. Sucks, right? Because you're like on holiday doing your regular job. You're still on a fucking bus. Yeah, but you're not driving the bus. If you're a ticket inspector, you never drive the bus anyway. Well, you're not inspecting the tickets on the bus, You'll probably you? find out that you will halfway through. The kids are whinging in your ear. Are we there yet, Dad? No. What am I going to do to get away from talking to the kids? I'm going to go and say, tickets, please, to everybody on the bus, just because it's what I feel comfortable doing. Why don't you just take a plane? I'm a ticket inspector on a bus. I can't afford flights. <laughs> what's, a, what's a way I could use that expression? What was the last job that you did? Um, I worked on a, a boat tour company for one day. Right. Okay. So let's imagine that you were working on that boat tour company mm-hmm. and then uh, someone invites you on holiday or on a date and and then they take you on a boat tour. That would kind of suck, right? But at the same time, I'd be like, well, I'm Then better. let's imagine. Okay. We're doing a lot of That the microphone breaks down and the guy who was holding the microphone has a heart attack. And someone says, does anyone on this boat know enough about the area to tell the other guests what we're going past on the rest of the trip? Are we not immediately going to the hospital? <laughs> we just assume, we, we toss him <laughs> overboard. We give him a Absolutely. Viking funeral. <laughs> yeah. And I say, up here we have where Rembrandt lived. <laughs> it's a beautiful area. Notice how the houses are crooked. Let me tell you why. Ignore the body floating in the canal. <laughs> The so body's on fire. The body's it, on fire. It's a fire. Viking funeral. Wrap him yeah. in a couple of... All right, put down your bows and arrows, everyone. He's <laughs> gone to see the sea gods. Okay, I understand the analogy. So back to organizing comedy. Yeah. So That's a long fucking segue. All right. How the hell did we do that? That, that was amazing. <laughs> a plus, man. <laughs> okay, so uh, I I completely fell into the whole organizing comedy side of it. Um, it was, uh, last autumn I was emceeing at a show at, uh, at the Comedy Ballroom in Harlem, or what is now the Comedy Ballroom in Which Harlem. Which is at the Rex Hotel? At Rex Hotel, yeah. Big plug. Love mm-hmm. that. It's so, a great place. It looks haunted. Haunted? Doesn't it look haunted? It, it's kind of got that aura about it. You as know, this soon as 1920s... I walk, yes. I was like, oh, a mobster definitely, like, was murdered by his mistress Absolutely. here. Like, in the ballroom, she slips him, like, some arsenic and is like, enjoy that jazz, doll, and then walks out <laughs> and shoots herself with, like, a tiny little pistol. That is the I feeling. Love that mental image. Yeah, it's You have beautiful. to put that into a bit next time you're playing that. I will definitely, well, if you give me to the next round. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. I'm not one of the judges. I can't help oh, with that. Oh, if only, if only. But, yeah, so you're doing it at this hotel. Yeah, very so- charming, very charming. Haunted. So I was emceeing there for for a show with Harlem Comedy Factory, which is a promoter that that runs shows in the area. And uh, then after the show, I was sitting down and having a drink with the owner of the place, and he said that he really enjoyed having the comedy there. And did I think that he would be able to turn the place into a comedy club? 
And I just said, yeah, it's an amazing setting. You've got a great stage mm -hmm. and people will love to come and perform Tons here. Tons of ghosts. Yeah. yeah, loads of ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? No. I'm sorry. I am terrible <laughs> at interviewing today. Speaking of which, shall we? I think we shall. All yep. right, we're popping the next couple IPAs. So you don't like organizing. No. And, but uh, you've fallen into it. Like that's it. A so, man might fall into a canal. <laughs> yeah. I love that mental image. <laughs> Just done a comedy show. Oh, that went well. Sploosh. <laughs> cheers, but, man. Cheers. So, uh, yeah, the, the owner of the building, the owner of the ballroom said to me, do you think we could turn this into a comedy club? And I said, yeah, it's the perfect setting for it. And his first question was, what do we need in order to make this a proper comedy club? And I said, we need a brand and we need the performers to like it. Because if the performers like it, they'll always want to do shows there and then bring an audience in will be no problem at all. And uh, so then we came up with the idea of the competition. And I've seen a load of comedy competitions in the past which have lots of different formats, but normally there's uh, some element of judging, but a lot of emphasis on uh, the audience choosing the winner. And uh, it, it tends to be very quick fire. And what, what we wanted mean? to do... Quick fire. Well, you have a couple of comics that go up against each other and the best one wins according to round of applause or whatever it might be. Which is a little bit of a biased system. Exactly. You bring as many friends as you can. Yeah, and that, that's something that we didn't want to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, we didn't want to just have a panel of judges who are going to be completely arbitrary, and then if those judges like someone, that person's going to win. And so we decided we were going to have this format where nobody would know what round they were going to perform in. They wouldn't know who they were going to perform against. They wouldn't know what order they're going to perform in on the night. And we would change the judging panel each week. And we wouldn't have the audience voting for one of the winners, but uh, one of the judging criteria would be the reaction from the audience and the, the audience engagement mm -hmm. from, the, from the individual, the performer instead. And, uh, and so it, it's a bit of a departure from the comedy competitions that I've seen before, but it, it seems to be working pretty well. And, uh, well, you tell me, how was... How was your experience at Hicks? That's the first competition I've ever done. Right. Uh, and I was in the first round, so I think nobody really knew what to expect. But again, my my boyfriend, who's a comedian as well, he's performing competitions where, like you say, it's all about round of applause wins. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you might go the opposite direction, just judges, it's all up in the air. It's sort of hard to make that concrete. What I really liked that you did was that you let an audience member come on and be a judge. Yeah. And that's something that I think is really unique and really fun because then you get to sort of like play off of that idea. And that's the person that I was trying to make laugh when that's, I was doing yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely sure. right. And we decided on that very early on. So we wanted, uh, we wanted one of the judges from uh, the comedy ballroom we wanted one of the judges from Comedy Walks, which is... What's our, Comedy Walks for those who don't know? Okay, so Comedy Walks is a, a great company that's our partner for the Harlem International Comedy Knockout Series. And they run guided tours led by a comedian. Mm -hmm. So they currently have tours here in Amsterdam. They've got tours that they run in Washington, D.C. in the States as well. Wow. And uh, they're setting up tours in lots of different cities around Europe. And uh, so... Eric and Laura from Comedy Walks have, have been in the industry for quite a while and uh, Eric works very closely with a lot of improv groups here in Amsterdam. So speaking with them, they really wanted to get involved in the competition and so they've been part of the judging panel as well because they've got a lot of experience of uh, dealing with international comedians mm -hmm. that, uh, that have to work on their feet. So they came in as judges, but we always decided from the very beginning that we wanted to have one judge picked out of the audience on the night. We'd try as much as we could to make sure that was someone impartial, but just having that member of the audience come in and participate in the judging gives gives an extra extra level of variation to the judging panel mm -hmm. and uh, and forces the the comedian to work with what they don't know rather than thinking, oh, 
So I know these people are going to be judging. Exactly. So you say that you change the judges each round. Yeah. So every night it's four or four different people. No, there are a number of judges that we select. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've, we've got a pool of judges that include people from comedy walks, people from. Uh, the comedy ballroom, independent people, and okay. gotcha. then, of course, someone yeah. out of the audience. Have you competed in competitions yourself? Because for those of you who haven't been to one of these rounds, you are our MC. I, I don't know if we can yeah, call you an MC. I wouldn't call it an MC. Are I'd you, call it a host for this. Are you still trying to do zero bits in between? Is that still in between the, the sets? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, tough, man. It, that makes the room so pain. fucking dry. I know. I hate it myself because. As a stand-up, when someone puts a, puts a microphone in your hand, you want to tell jokes, right? Yeah, ex- I, I can see you resisting the, the urge. No, it, it it's seems so, frustrating. so unnatural to you. And uh, so I do a little bit of warm-up at the beginning, but not what I would mm-hmm. consider a typical MC job. And then when the judges go out to make their decision at the end, then uh, I do some fill-in. And why is but, that? Why, why do you choose not to do any material? It's... To try and balance it out for the competitors. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of warm-up at the beginning is always a good idea. You want to get the crowd on side. You want to get them in the mood for it. But in between the competitors, the the fact is whatever material I do, it's going to have an effect on whoever comes up next. And nobody knows what the order's going to be. It's completely random. It's drawn as a lottery. But if I've just done a bit of material and it's completely bombed, that's going to harm whoever it's comes up next. It's an unfair sort of advantage to whoever gets the good material. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it, so if if I do a great joke and everybody's rolling in the aisles, then whoever comes up next is really going to yeah. get their chances boosted by whatever I've done. So at the beginning, I welcome everybody. I run through the rules. I, I do a couple of bits. And then uh, in between the performers... All I do is introduce them. That was, I mean, my first competition, but also I've never gone on stage that bare. Yeah. Do you think that the way that you're running this competition, is that based on your own experience doing any competitions? No, I've I've never actually been in a competition myself. I've been to a few of them as uh, as a spectator, mm-hmm. but uh, it was it was based on anecdotes that I had from from comics who'd performed in them, and it was based on my own experience from watching them. And uh, we just wanted to try and make it a level playing field because ultimately we want to get the best competitors through to the final. Mm -hmm. And so all of the rules are there just to make sure that everybody's got the same opportunity, the same chance, and even down to things like the, the timekeeping rules. And that's that's the one thing that's had which the, we talked a little bit about this before. Has there been controversy? There has, yeah. For those of you who don't know, when you're doing a competition like this, it has to be above and below a certain time. Yeah. And if you're out of that, you're out of the competition. Yeah. So most of the competitions that I've seen or heard of in the past, they they give you a minimum time you have to do. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll say you've got to do a five minute set or something like that. Um. But we decided that we were going to have a, a time bracket for each of the competitors. So for the first round, it's eight minutes minimum to 10 minutes maximum. And the reason for that was we didn't want somebody to come along with just three fantastic jokes, tell those, leave the stage, get maximum points, but they've only done two minutes of material. Mm. And equally, we didn't want to have somebody who was taking ages to build up, but then suddenly had the audience in the palm of their hand mm-hmm. and just kept on going and going and going and going and going. And mm-hmm. so they spend 20 minutes on stage, but uh, then they've clearly done a different job to the other person who's mm-hmm. done their eight to 10 minutes. So, so we're sort of uh, making sure that the format is consistent so it levels the playing field. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So everybody's got the same time as a minimum, same time as a maximum. And just trying to make it as even as possible so that everyone can bring their A game and uh, mm-hmm. and beat people on equal terms. So going back to your experience then, we've sort of gotten the rundown 
of what you're doing now as a comedian. Yeah. But I still I want to know how did you how did you start out doing this? Right. Cuz like you're you're in Geneva, you made a beautiful soon to be pregnant wife. <laughs> you're doing public speaking for your job, but at what point do you say I can do something else with this? I can be funny on stage. Right. Well, uh always when I was doing presentations or or speeches that you've got to crack a few jokes, right? You, mm-hmm. You've got to make people smile. You've got to keep their attention. And uh, uh, do you know Bill Bailey? Yes. Yeah? Oh, classic. Part troll. I was also <laughs> just saying he's sexy in a homeless way. He would describe himself as sexy in uh, under the bridge, ready to steal your baby sort of I way. enjoy it, yeah, but because he... it's cheaper than an abortion, so you might as well just let him steal your child. Absolutely. So... During Bill Bailey's tour called Part Troll, mm-hmm. Bill Bailey, if you're listening, fucking love that. And he he mentioned this statistic that nine out of ten stand-up comedians have failed musicians. Is and, that true? No. Well, I'm trying to maintain that statistic. I, I, Are you a failed musician? Yes. I Are you? tried being a musician for a very long time and realized there were lots and lots of people who are much better at it than me. And... Uh, and then I realized that in between songs, you're basically doing stand-up and uh, public speaking. And so that combined with the fact that I was doing a lot of this in my, in my day-to-day work of hosting seminars and then trying to make this pie chart about dollars and bubbles and dots and Mars bars in kettles and what All the of these fuck things. are you selling, man? Is that heated? I'm sorry. We're we're taking a quick vape break. I think. Oh, sorry. It's it's not vape. It's a. Uh... This is uh this is Icos. I'm gonna get a sponsorship yeah. from them. Absolutely. Uh, are you allowed to? I'm gonna you can't try. promote tobacco stuff in this country, can you? It's on the internet. Everything's allowed on the internet. So exactly. Yeah, it stands That's for so I Quit good. Ordinary Smoking. It's Marlboro's way or Philip Morris's way of. Uh, trying to make their customer base live just that little bit longer. Cool. Good for them, I Absolutely, guess. yeah. I, I think they're, they're doing a great job. Well, you, you've lived long enough to get here. I feel a lot less dead here. than I did when I was smoking cigarettes. How old were you when you started doing stand-up? Uh, I, I only started actually doing stand-up two years ago. How, you're not answering the question. No. I'm just trying to do the calculation. Do you remember what I'm my last putting... birthday was? Too old to reveal age. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. So I was born in 1982. Oh, don't make me do math. I just flipped that round on you completely. Oh, this is brilliant. So you're what, like? 36. I was just about to say 36. <laughs> just about to say that. You come to a university, you expect people to be like, oh, fuck, I'm being douchey again, right? Uh, it's the wax, man. It's dripping into your frontal lobe. So you start doing stand-up. Yep. Two years ago, yep. you're a young, spry, 34-year-old man. Even that was an accent. Accent? Accident. Fucking IPA. How was it an accident, getting on stage? Uh, so I I was going along to uh, to a comedy show that had been organized by some people I know. I'm not going to talk about the details of that. And uh, I knew who the performers were going to be that night. It Looked like it was going to be a good show, and I arrived. I arrived there a bit early, and uh, and I I just asked who the MC was going to be for that night because they hadn't publicised who the MC was going to be, and uh, the organiser said uh, we don't have an MC. And my reaction, having been to a lot of comedy shows in my life, was, uh, "Have you told the acts that?" and Everybody seemed to think this was no problem until uh, the first two comics arrived and said, oh, who's emceeing tonight? To which the response was, Ed, can you introduce the comedians? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you've never done this before? No, but for me... Was this Dutch or English? It was in English, yeah. I I couldn't possibly do stand-up in Dutch. I would never even pretend to. If, If anybody found me funny... In Dutch, it would be because of my attempts to okay. speak Dutch. Uh, yeah, I I basically stood up and introduced them and did a couple of gags based on their material. It was by no means what 
any MC would be expecting mm-hmm. of themselves. But it was the best that we could do on the night. <laughs> and uh, I really enjoyed it and thought, you know, I think I could do this if I wrote down some of my own material. So I started my own little book of funny, and as we all do. Yeah. The knockoff of the Book of Mormon? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little black book, but for most people, their little black book is full of fanny. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't pronounce it properly. Oh! So how did how did you get from emceeing a show to now doing this? Have you always done emceeing or are you more of a... I've where, always where does done, your heart lie? Yeah. I Before comedy emceeing, I've always done emceeing. So mm-hmm. at events, uh, being an MC is a similar sort of job, but with less material. And mm. uh, then when I decided I wanted to be doing stand-up, uh, the first person I asked about it actually was Jakob, Jakob Adriani. Oh, um, great guy. I yeah, love him. Great guy, great comedian. Um, and he was performing at a, a show in Harlem, and uh, I was speaking to him after the show, and he said to me, get in touch with Ken Parsons. Ken Parsons. The legend that is. I don't think that I talk enough about Ken Parsons on this show, but he's the reason that I think everyone I've had on here has gotten into comedy. Yeah. Everyone has cited Ken for being, like, their, uh, the, the the kingmaker of Amsterdam. Absolutely. I mean, you you had uh, Michaela and Alex mm-hmm. who were also through in the competition, and they... That's going to be tough, competing against friends. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, those guys were in the semifinal. Uh, They're only in I, the semis. Can I plug that for, for now? What? The, the date of the semis? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving that till the end. I'm oh, doing right. that on purpose, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, Sorry you Sorry for that me whole jumping the gun. Plug. Okay, so yeah. Alex, uh, Alex Nasser and Michaela Birch. A couple of great comedians. So funny. If you haven't heard their episodes, go listen to them. Plug in myself there. Absolutely. Yeah, so you've had them amazing. on the show. Yeah. They're, they know Ken as well. Who doesn't know Everyone Ken? Knows if you're, Ken? If you're Everyone in the international Ken. comedy scene in in Amsterdam or in Berlin, mm-hmm. then you know Ken Parsons. So I was put in touch with Ken and uh, and he basically said to me, well, have you done any shows before? And I said, well, no, I've, I've done some emceeing outside of the comedy industry and I've sort of semi-emceed for, for one show. Mm-hmm. And then he gave me a set at uh, Ironic Curtain over at Checkpoint Charlie. Great show. Yeah, very fun. Really, really very, fun. Very, very fun. It was brilliant. And, uh, of course, I was nervous. I'm doing my first set. It's like uh, eight, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm using this material that I've I've been working on. And, and I'm thinking, oh, this is fucking great. And then uh, <laughs> when you're on stage, you realize, actually, some of it's not so fucking yeah. great. And just... Just the first experience of walking up to the stage to take the microphone in this lovely little intricate sort of mm-hmm. coffee house style, Berlin style bar. And uh, as I'm walking up to take the microphone, when Kent's just introduced me, I hear somebody in the audience whispering to her friend over her shoulder, he looks so fucking drunk. And <laughs> my immediate thought was, who the fuck invited my mum? But then... <laughs> Then I thought, well, if she thinks I look fucking drunk now, what's she going to think in a few hours when I've had some more beer? But (laughs) to be fair, I was pretty fucking drunk, so I might have misheard her. But just that experience of going up there and and using my own material and putting my own stuff out there and actually trying what I thought I could do was fantastic. And I can't thank Ken enough for that. And uh, since then, I've performed at a couple of, a couple of other shows for him and uh, just a big plug for Ken's shows at the Any Ironic Curtain, Mixed yeah. Tree, uh, the Laughing Lyrics over at Bukowski's. Mm-hmm. It's raw comedy. Get yourself down there. You'll it's see some up and coming yeah. comics, some international acts that that will always come over to perform for him because he's everybody's friend. Yeah, he's a great guy. And I uh, gave you your start, gave me my start. Absolutely. Yeah. God bless Ken Parsons. Yeah. God bless him, man. And now here you are. Indeed. Here we are. Indeed. The yeah. MC 
and the contestant yeah. for the Hicks Comedy Competition? What's Indeed. the official yeah. name? So it's uh, the Harlem International Comedy Knockout Series. Which, Harlem International Comedy Knockout Series. Okay. Which we abbreviated to Hicks mm-hmm. because it's held at Rax, oh. the comedy ballroom at Rax. And uh, so Hicks at Rax has a lovely little bit of alliteration to it. And uh, it, it's also a lot easier to remember than Harlem International Comedy Knockout Series. We didn't <laughs> want to call it one of these generic names like uh, Best Comedian in Northern Hemisphere or I'm so funny, I'm not Dutch. We couldn't think of anything creative to call it, so we came up with an acronym that seemed it's to work well. It works. Thank you very much. Now, I know that a lot of the people listening to this and a lot of the people interviewing you want to know, how do you win? That is the question <laughs> on everyone's mind. Tell us how to win, Ed. Be what the is best the secret? comic. Okay. That's our show, everybody. <laughs> yeah, this. I'm not. I'm not asking for any insider information, but since you are sort of the host of this, is there any advice that you can give to people doing this competition, or just anyone wanting to be a comedian? Yeah, like from your well, experience. I'm going to separate those two questions because, okay. um, firstly, in the competition, the one piece of advice I could give is read the fucking rules because. Mm-hmm. We we made the rules really really explanatory it's and comprehensive. It's a long list of rules. It is, but it's like it's like if you get a really really nice cabinet set from IKEA, and it looks great in the showroom, and you take it home and you think, "Fuck the instructions! I can do this. I've got a screwdriver. I've got an afternoon to spare." By the time you finished it, it's gonna look fucking terrible. If you read the instructions, it'll work out well. Now, yes, it's boring to read through the instructions and you really want that cabinet to be finished right now, but you actually want it to be finished well. So the rules explain the categories for the judging and the only way that the judges are giving you points is that they've read the rules. So it's split into five categories. You've got uh, originality. So if you're turning up and just making jokes about um, how much you hate your mother-in-law, Probably not going to cut it. Um, then you've got performance, so how you work the stage and uh, and how you present yourself for your own act. Uh, you've got audience engagement, so not what just... What does that mean? Right. Good question. That it's, was the one I... Had the, is that like talking to the audience, like, what did you do today? Or is that their response to you? Well, think about think about the comedians that you've seen live. Some of them engage the audience by doing crowd work, by getting input from the crowd and and really bouncing off them. Some of them engage the audience by directing material at them and by making the audience feel involved without actually having to do or say anything. Mm -hmm. And so audience engagement is, is not just about speaking to people in the crowd or getting them to say something or dealing with heckles. It's about making the crowd feel part of the show. What are the ways to do that, to make them feel part of the show in that definition? Then, Well, that's, that's a difficult thing to quantify. It's yeah, more that's why it's hard to sort of judge that activity, Yeah, I think, for a lot of people. We've seen, we've seen some comics who've got really high scores in audience engagement by doing crowd work. We've seen other comics who've got really high scores in, in audience engagement by telling jokes that, that make people in the crowd think it's about them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's not just about speaking to an audience member. It's about working with the audience rather than just shouting at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Engaging them in the narrative exactly. a little bit. Okay, exactly. gotcha. And the fourth category is best joke. So Pretty for, self-explanatory. Yeah. And so for it, each competitor, the, the judges will pick out what they think the best gag was. They'll give that a mark out of 10. Mm-hmm. And then the final category is something we've called tickets, please. Now, this is completely arbitrary. Uh, so we told the judges, imagine you've got 10 euros in your pocket. How much of that would you be prepared to pay to see that performer's show tomorrow night? And 
So some people they've said, well, I'd pay two euros. And some people they've said, all 10, no question. I received some questions from listeners, AKA I messaged a bunch of people and asked what they would want to ask you. Number one, who is your favorite comedian in Amsterdam? Or the one that makes you laugh the most? Uh, My favorite comedian in the Amsterdam scene at the moment? Someone that you work with that always entertains you. I've got to say Michael Yeager. He was on the uh, the Rex show that yeah. I did with yeah. you. Yeah, I invited yeah. him to, to headline that one because the guy always puts on a great show. He's a brilliant comedian, good friend, and yeah, if you haven't seen Michael perform live, get down to one of his shows because this time next year you'll be paying 50 bucks a ticket. Yeah, he's fucking... I think that he's actually putting on a new open mic too yep. at a comedy yep. cafe. The Laugh Cycle. Yeah. Like comedy cafe. Very That's going to be great. That. Get yourselves along to that. He also does a really funny that his true dating yep. show too. It's complicated. Yep. Great stuff. They did a they did a show at the comedy ballroom on Valentine's Day for it's complicated. They oh. do a monthly show at the comedy cafe. Great show, great performers. Mm-hmm. Got to love it. All right. Favorite joke that you've heard in the competition? I actually can't answer that because there's a prize for the best joke. Uh, so at the end of the competition, once once the, the winner and the runner-up have been decided, there's a third category for the best joke. That could be someone that's been been knocked out mm-hmm. in the first round. It could be someone that's just done that joke five minutes ago. But uh, I can't comment on which one. I, I can't tell you which one my favourite was. Mm-hmm. But... I can ooh, what can I say about it? There's there's one joke that stands out to me from the first round that really Are we thinking of the same joke. Okay, back to the show. <laughs> we just We're now had on a, the record again. That was off the record. The third uh, question I have, which ties into the last one, um, favorite comedians, all time, world. They can be such anything. a tough question. I've heard you ask this to other people, and it, it's such a tough question. And I love Michael McIntyre for his energy. I love Richard Iowadi for his absurdity. I love Jerry Seinfeld for his originality. I love Bill Hicks for his stage presence. Uh, there are so many comedians that I just think are great for so many different reasons. And one of one of the first comedians that I experienced watching a whole show was uh, Eddie Izzard, who just performed in Amsterdam a few days I ago. Wanted to, did you see him? I didn't go to see him. Have no. you seen him live before? I have, when I was a kid. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> Eddie Izzard is from the south coast of England and uh, my grandparents lived in this town called Bexhill on the south coast. And uh, so some of Eddie Izzard's first pretty big gigs were in the Brighton Pavilion or in the Hastings Pavilion, all these, these places along the south coast. And so the first experience I had of seeing a stand-up was Eddie Izzard when I was very young. And then the first time I watched somebody's stand-up video, as it was then, was Eddie Izzard. Are we talking like VHS? We are, yeah. Oh, you're this so was a video old, cassette. <laughs> wow. You've probably seen those in museums or like on someone's Instagram yeah, feed. Yeah, it's like vintage. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, <laughs> these days, I mean, it's like what, 10, 15,000 pounds for a VHS cassette. Genuinely, yeah. And uh, in those days, I mean, eleven ninety nine was expensive when you went to. It buy was that one of his HMV. specials. One of Eddie Izzard's specials. Uh, I can't remember which tour it was. The experience of watching that that whole set, that a full show, one comedian with all of that material, and Eddie Izzard for years has been coming up with such original. Material, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so different from everybody else. And he's always had his quirks. But when I first saw him, that was that was a time when if he'd gone on stage wearing full makeup and a dress, then it would have been a completely different audience, you know? Was the show that you saw, Matt, what he's, was he not in cross-dressing? Or? I honestly don't remember. I was like okay. 12 years old. What about old. the special? But Do you remember that? The, on the video, yes, because mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the first gags that I remember seeing from a professional comedian was from that video when he's talking about his experience of, uh, of being in a lift when, when he's dressed in drag and a woman walks in with a small child and then sort of pulling the child away from him and saying, no, no, don't stare, don't stare. And this, this kid is just looking at him in amazement. He's this, this tall guy with mm-hmm. stubble and a dress. And the mother of this poor child is trying to drag the kid away and hide the kid in the corner of the lift. And Eddie Izzard turns around and says, why the fuck are you telling your child not to stare? I'm a six foot two man in a gingham dress and eyeshadow. This is something worth staring at. <laughs> and I just thought that is exactly what I would expect him to say in that lift. And I loved it. He's, He's such an honest comedian, but so original in his work. His perspective is what makes him different. Yeah. Because he's funny in everyone can think he's funny, but the different angle that he takes on things and his confidence in himself where he gives it's zero fucks. It's wit. It amazes me. Yeah. Yeah. There are some... Some comedians who are just brilliant at writing jokes Mm -hmm. and then they go out and they perform those jokes. Eddie Izzard, I honestly believe it's down to wit. Yeah, it's his personality is just so bombastic in that sense. (laughs) What a great word. I'm using a lot of big words today. That's what you listen for. Fun comedic interviews and big words. (laughs) We're boosting all your Scrabble words today for free. Anything else you want to talk about? Childhood memories, traumas, sexual experiences? Oh, I could go on for days. Uh, oh, so you were talking about individual sexual experiences. Those only go on for minutes. <laughs> Seconds, really. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What else was on my list of questions to ask? How did you start in comedy? Gun and one. Oh, yeah. Dates. Give us the dates for the upcoming shows that are happening. Absolutely. So uh, something else that we set up with with the Hicks competition, we originally planned for everything to be on a fixed date. We had a date scheduled for the semifinal, mm-hmm. date scheduled for the final. And then we realized that even with the dates for the first round, there were people that were struggling to, to make it. So we decided that once we've got all of the qualifiers arranged for the, for the semis, for the runoff, then we would speak with all of them and find a date that everyone could make. Okay. Which is the 19th of May. So that's a Sunday evening. Get down to the Comedy Ballroom in Harlem, which is just a couple of hundred meters from the Kroterkerk in the center of Harlem. 19th of May, we'll have the seven qualifiers in the runoff fighting for the last two places in the final. Once that's finished... We'll have the date very soon afterwards arranged for the final, which, of course, Emily, you'll be performing at. I'm very excited for it. Uh, I'm very nervous, very excited. You've been practicing your set for it? I've been writing new shit for it. Excellent. Actually, because I know that, I mean, what's the the timeline? It's going to be like 16? That's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's 14, 14 minutes minimum, 20 minutes maximum. So it's it's a proper set for for seven top comics mm-hmm. and of course the first category of judging is originality so you're more than welcome to do the material that you've done in the first round or the people is it that... going to be different judges then there will be at least one different judge because we're picking mm-hmm. one out of the audience but not all of the judges will be the same okay uh, but having said that at least one of the judges will be someone you've performed again in front of before Ooh. so yeah. You could do all of the material you did in your first round and then just add on some mm-hmm. more minutes. But if you do new material, you're probably going to get better marks for originality. That's a hot tip here, ladies and gentlemen. Look at that. 
Any other tips you want to give us before you go? Um, I I don't want to revert back to the douchey first two minutes of this this interview and say uh, just late. be yourself. <laughs> um, but no, everybody, all of the performers seem to have really enjoyed it, and that's the best thing for for me hosting this. I've noticed two big things in this whole competition. Number one, I would not be getting through to the final. If if I was on that stage being judged, I would not be getting the points to get through because there's been such high quality in the guys that have been doing their sets. And number two, the people that haven't qualified have been so quick to come up and congratulate the people that have and and mm-hmm. to say how much they've enjoyed it. And that's great. The The whole reason we set up this competition in the first place was to get comedians and performers to know the venue and to know each other and to know what we're doing mm-hmm. and to bring the comedy scene out of Amsterdam and into Harlem. That People seem to think that Harlem's so far away. It's just 15 minutes away from Amsterdam Central on the train. And we've got this this great thing going on with Amsterdam comedy and it's, it's really taking off in Den Haag and Rotterdam as well. Utrecht has a great comedy festival that they've been holding for a while. And Harlem has just seemed to lag behind a little bit in the international scene. And so many times I've had comics coming up and saying, well, the venue's great. The performers are great, great material. And it's been a really good experience to be here. And that is worth so much more. You know, it, we'd rather have 20 people in the crowd really enjoying the jokes and seven people on stage really enjoying performing than have a packed house and people just doing it because they think they need to do a show. And that's what's happening. Well, I think everyone's gotten as many tips as they can get out of you. Let's do a last cheers. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to this drunken mess of an episode. Thank you again to our guest, Ed. Thanks very much. I've been Ed MB. Have a great after listen. Oh, fuck it. Have a great <laughs> night, everybody. Thank you. Good evening. Good night.